greeting. My name is Momalele, and I love uh, running in the dark. There's such a weird thing to think about. And I actually thought about it, and I, I came up with nothing. I came up with a bunch of random shit, and I was like, <laughs> I gotta move on. Like, my brain power, like, like my brain power needs to be used to in something else. I can't do this in the process. I think we have it. I got limited brain power, Alex. I got limited brain power, so I gotta I, use it sparingly. <laughs> Honestly, Mo, I think I'll just use what what just happened. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's going to be a very interesting uh, intro. Uh, <laughs> people will. Yeah, the other ones, not that any of the other ones I came up with were any better. The one that I, the other one that I came up with is I like bourbon and buffalo wings because I don't believe there's a there's a day. It is so bad that cannot be ended and fixed with, you know, a bottle of bourbon and a bucket of buffalo. And then we call time of death on the day, we'll wake up tomorrow. Like, however bad your day was, here's a bottle, here's some wings. You'll be all right. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Woke Wisdom Podcast. This is Alexandra Loves. I'm with my furry cosmic guardian, Cyrus and Visu joyfully coming to you from the moon garden where wisdom is nourished, awakening is embraced, and fun is encouraged. And blessings to you and all of your people. I hope this new year brings you awesomeness. And if you haven't found us yet on Instagram or Facebook, please do find us at Woke Wisdom Podcast. And if you're looking for me personally, I'm at Tranquil Badassery on IG. And please, for those of you who are enjoying what you hear here, subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts. And even more, please rate and review. It helps so much to get the word out there. Today, we're welcoming my special friend from South Africa, Mo Malele. And Mo and I met while I was running an explosive online event called Africa Week 2020 with a collaborator. And uh, this was during the middle of stay-at-home orders a few years ago. So people really, really were wanting to be online and connect with anybody. And we did. We connected people all around the world, Africa and all of her di- diaspora. And I was so inspired by this woman's offerings. Uh, she brought to our events language panels, uh, teaching young entrepreneurs, uh, her poetry. And if you have never heard her version of Black Woman, I promise you, you need to hear it. <laughs> I will link it in the bottom of the show notes so, so you can find it. Moma Lele is a poet, recording artist, award-winning entrepreneur, wordsmith extraordinaire, and content producer. She produces all things that inspire, grow, and challenge her, as well as contribute positively to her community. Her poetry style can be described as conscious, self-aware, self-reflective, critical, extremely honest, as she tackles various social issues like love, loss, mental health, hope, politics, economics, inequality, and much more through her poetry, and challenge her listeners to live a life to their fullest as the best versions of themselves. And I know for a fact, because I have felt that many times listening to her speak. She's performed on many stages across South Africa, from Cape Town City to the Baxter Theater, and on many online events. She has a full-service marketing and events agency and tech startup that is aimed at helping township entrepreneurs grow their businesses by leveraging technology. Let's take a deep breath and welcome Momalele. That's good. I, I'm trying to think of what that... I love wings, but I'm trying to think of what that like comfort food is for me that every single time it's good. It's like it hits the spot. I'll be fine. Um, 
I, I feel like for me, it's actually, it's a trifecta. It's mm -hmm. oranges, really high quality dark chocolate and popcorn. <laughs> in copious amounts yeah, really. though i'm not talking about like a little serving each i'm talking about like three oranges like a couple chocolate bars <laughs> like a giant bowl like the big kitchen bowl of popcorn <laughs> that really is a trifecta like you've got your vitamin c in you've yeah. got your like dark little high quality cocoa in so you're good yes, uh, the tannins um, <laughs> yeah you know what I mean? That's some popcorn to top it all off. That's like, that certainly is, you know, if the doctors had to pick one, I think you'd definitely be living longer than I would. You know, assuming we were, assuming we were never, ever comforted and always had to look for food comfort, you'd definitely live longer than I would. But yeah. Ooh, that was good. Mo! If you could be an what animal, an uh, animal, non-human, what would you be and why? Say that again. If I could be an animal. Or non-human. Anything besides a human, what would you be? Instead of a human. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, so because this is like audio, people can actually see that I've got, uh, so I've got like an eagle tat on, like you can see it because we're, uh, you know, on video. But I've got an eagle tattoo on uh, my shoulder. And then, and it was the very first tattoo I got um, like a year or two years ago. It's uh -huh. quite a, it takes like half half of my like upper uh, left arm. Um, so that was definitely an animal I identify with. So if I could be an animal, it would probably be an eagle. Why? Why an eagle? I mean, I just I just identify with birds in general. Um, the idea of a bird's eye view. Um, being able to see far ahead. Um, uh, um, the, the, and like, you know how eagles also, they, they do well in water. So, they, so they, they fly so high, but they can also see deep into the water and actually see the fishes. And that's why sometimes you'll see on National Geographic those images of like, from nowhere they, they're tracking like a little fish in like the little pond or the little <laughs> river or whatever. And from nowhere you just see this eagle swooping and this like slow motion is like, oh, what a majestic view. The poor little, you know, uh, fishy thingy. Um, but they can see that. Like they can see that far that well. And they're very meticulous creatures. Um, and so I identify a lot, you know, with that, with the idea of a bird's eye view, like seeing far beyond yourself mm -hmm. um, and being very meticulous about how you get there and get what you want. Um, wow. I'm not saying I am that, but I identify with those qualities. I would, I would like to be an eagle, basically. Um, <laughs> And I also kind of feel like most people might be like being a lion, you know, lion of the jungle, uh, you know, and like, you know, it's like the king of the jungle or whatever. I kind of feel it's overrated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I certainly wouldn't be a lion. I don't think I have the personality to be one. Uh, so I identify more, um, you know, with, with eagles. Okay. I like that. And and honestly, is I know that you have a lot of awesome passionate and creative entrepreneurial ventures that are community oriented and having that ego skill of the bird's eye view and, and having that perspective and being meticulous about the little things, that's an, a, like a necessary skill for what you're doing. Yeah. So like, yeah, exactly. Maybe you're kind of, uh, kind of there a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on, I'm on route. I mean, that's why I identify so much with it. Yeah. Um, 
And I think, I mean, if you if you if you know me, you'll know that I do a lot of I do an extensive research before I I, I get any. I've only got two. Mm-hmm. They're quite. Um, I mean, they take up half of my left arm. Mm. Uh, but extensive research doing, uh, you know, like understanding what I'm going to put on there, the shapes, the sizes, the wording, mm-hmm. the images, everything. Um, so there's a lot of research on, you know, which animals I, I I would most likely identify with. Yes. Enough to engrave onto my body. It's a big decision, y'all, for those yes. of getting tattoos. Life. <laughs> like, don't, don't, <laughs> don't take it lightly. You know what I mean? Like, don't take it heavily, but don't take it lightly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are a lot of research about that, um, and so and so that's why I still say it's, it's the animal I identify the most with. Because even in my life, in a lot of things that I do, um, you know, um, um, in in a lot of ways, not to sound arrogant or anything, but in a, in a lot of ways, you're called to be a visionary. Uh, you know, like leaders uh-huh. in like good leaders at least um, inherently have some sort of visionariness in them. Yes. You know, you're called to be able to hear past the noise and see through the fog, I think, which uh-huh. is what, you know, they do very well. And that's why I relate so much to them. And as an entrepreneur, as a, as, as a poet as well, you know, even as a creative, you also have to be able to see uh, uh, past the, the, the chaos of uh, see past the, the fog and hear past the noise. Unless you go out and put out creative into the world that actually does more damage than good. And then people believe you and they take you seriously because you call yourself a poet and they listen to you on the daily, you know? So you, you know, and so, so you also inherent also, you know, have to have that kind of leadership and visionariness that, yes. that, you know, I relate so much to with Eagles. Wow. Again, on this podcast, I feel like I'm being called up and out <laughs> because, you know, because you know this, there's times when you're in the creative process of, you know, whatever the business, the work, the putting your passion out there, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we do that isn't necessarily what we, what is fun to do. <laughs> uh, the yeah. meticulous, those, some of those meticulous things, those things that, um, you know, I got on this kick for a while that was like, <laughs> I want to do things that are life-giving, but to get it out there, if I, if I want to, if I want to touch communities, if I want it to be, you know, part of a business, then there's like things mm-hmm. that I do that don't feel in the moment. They don't feel life-giving. And I feel like I'm going through one of those phases yeah. right now where there's a lot of that research grant work, staring, staring, staring at a computer screen, which is the most inorganic, unnatural thing. Clicking, <laughs> <laughs> like clicking, right? clicking, clicking. It's just like... <laughs> If I, I, I used to love the sound of the mouse clicking, <laughs> like I just like, and now I've switched back to my mouse pad because I'm just tired of the sound click. <laughs> With each click, my soul dies a little bit. <laughs> oh, dude, you've got some PTSD there, hey? Like, this, you've got some post traumatic stress disorder going on there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so like what you're saying but that makes sense though that makes uh, sense a lot um especially uh, with like everything we've gone through in the last what two or three years yeah um and then we're genuinely as human beings just tired of tech um and we're just well i think we're suffering from digital fatigue but a lot of us aren't really aware of it we're just and anxious and just like annoyed yeah. by computers and laptops and mouse clickings and so forth. 
Mm-hmm. But we're just digitally fatigued, you know what I mean? We just want to yeah. sit in a room with other human beings and engage with them. So so that to me makes sense. So yeah. Yeah, that um, fog, that fog. Thank you for speaking to that and and uh whew, I feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Um Mo, what's something that you what's something like significant that you discovered about yourself in this past year? Wow. <laughs> that is such a loaded question. That's like one of the that's like gotcha journalism right there, Alex. That's like that's one of the questions the interview the interviewee needs to know about. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Um there's actually a couple of things. Yeah. Um but I think I think probably the the most uh, the most important one, like like the biggest one that has really stuck out for me that I that I've even spoken about, um, you know, with with my mentees because I'm a youth mentor. Yes. And and so in some of my sessions, I'll talk to them about this particular, you know, aha moment that I've had. Um, but like I said, I've, I've had several, but one of them is the realization that I'm stubborn, uh. that I am extremely that I'm extremely stubborn. Mm-hmm. But, and it's something that I remember a couple of years ago, uh, one of my close family members said that to me, like years ago, um, I had a clash with the family member. And then they said that the, like the problem is the two of you, the two of you are both right, but none of you will stand down because you're oh. both stubborn. So you're too mm-hmm. similar. So, so she was saying, so she was making an observation from the outside saying that you guys were actually both right, but none of you would actually stand down on the matter because you're both stubborn. And I was like, Yeah. That chap is stubborn. And she's like, but you're both stubborn. I'm like, yes, you're right. He is stubborn. <laughs> you know, you're like giving it to the other person. So I'm, so, so I'm like, no, man. I mean, I might be a bit difficult, but stubborn, sis, come on, stubborn. <laughs> uh, I'm difficult. I'm maybe a little difficult, rough around the edges. But I, but I wasn't taking the whole stubborn factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then throughout the, like, the last like year or two, and this is where, for me, I had to reframe what that meant for me, what uh-huh. it means to be stubborn. And that's where the importance of this harm women comes in for my youth work, is realizing that me being stubborn doesn't necessarily, it's not, it's not always a bad thing in the sense that it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm never going to admit that I'm wrong. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm the first one to apologize in the room. And I'm the first one to admit if I'm wrong, because I see no fault in, in saying that I am wrong and you are right. I got it wrong. You got it right. We move on with the right way of doing things or thinking things. Yeah. Um, but I realized that me being stubborn actually means that I, I just won't quit. I refuse to be beat. I won't give up. You know, I inherently believe that for every problem, there's a solution. I just am not seeing it. I'm just not around it. I just haven't found it. But there's someone in the middle of nowhere on the opposite end of the world who has that solution. Yes. And... I need to find that human being. They need to find me, you know, six degrees of separation, some way, somehow. The universe needs to bring us together because I genuinely believe that there isn't a problem we have today as society that we don't actually have a solution for right now as humanity. Um, and so that's where my stubbornness comes in. I think that's one thing I realized throughout COVID with all of the failures, um, you know, that, that we've had all the, all of the losses that I've been through and the failures and, you know, the businesses going down and mm. trying to revive and resuscitate things and economy struggling and, you know, just everything that has happened. Um, it's my stubbornness that I've realized that I just, 
you know, I'll give up today when I go to bed, but I wake up tomorrow feeling like I'm at it again. You know, like feeling like I like yesterday didn't happen. You know, I've had I've had a night's rest. Yesterday didn't happen. I've got a new set. I've got a new set of 24 hours. Yeah. Got a new set of 24 hours. So let's see what we can make with this new set of 24 hours. Wow. Um, d- despite everything that happened the night before, the day before, you know. So that's probably my biggest aha moments, realizing that I'm stubborn. Um, and it's a double-edged sword, mm-hmm. but I but I but I I I consciously try to channel it in a positive way. Yeah, and before you go on to the other thing you discovered, you know, I think I think that's a really important thing for is is an important way of being for kids to like what you're saying about we have this 24 hours and there is a solution. We have the solutions, it's in us and we might, you know, whatever happens in this 24 hours is what's happened. Let's start again tomorrow. You know, we can keep going. I think that's really important for all of us to remember that these, these are true things Mm. as well as kids, because, and this is a theme that keeps coming up. We really do kind of live in this world where we're continue to getting conditioned into seeking our solutions from systems that are not really built to help us. And also conditioned with, the internet, which we're on more now, uh, conditioned to get things a little more instantly. And, and I think that Um, sometimes we forget about like, there's for really great things and, and big solutions that can touch a lot of people and help a lot of people. A lot of those solutions are, are, are created through long processes and and being continuously engaged in the process. And, and that takes stand up, stand yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's uh yeah, it takes stamina, endurance, perseverance, all those lovely words that the motivational speakers write about and so forth. So yeah, like all of those words are relevant. It takes all of that stuff. Yeah. And that's why and, and I mean and, and that's why I say that I realized that she was right. I am stubborn, but it's not stubborn in the sense of I'm not wrong. So I'm not wrong, you're wrong, I'm right, mm-hmm. or that kind of stubbornness. It's the stubbornness of we're gonna keep going. You know what I mean? Like, we're like, in the words of Denzel Washington, you know, uh, four, seven times, get up eight. Ease uh, is a yeah. greater threat to progress than hardship. Yeah. You know, those words, you know, um, yeah, it's one of my favorite Denzel quotes. It's probably the only quote I really know. Uh, but it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's one of those words that um, reverberates in my head. And yeah. I think anyone who can persevere is inherently stubborn. Mm-hmm. You know, you, even if you pivot, you know, even if you pivot and you yeah. take the feedback you're getting from the market, from friends and family and your coaches and mentors and whatever. Yeah, you, you can change be strategies and whatnot. Yeah, but you keep moving forward. You keep going. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's, a, there's an inherent stubbornness in the idea of persevering and enduring through something. Yeah. Um, you know, and you must remember that when people persevere through something, um, you don't know that you're going to get to the promised land. So, you know, so you're actually just persevering for the sake of I'm too far gone or I really believe in what I'm doing, like your convictions keep you going. But you're literally just like wandering around, pivoting and trying different things and so forth. You like you don't actually have a certainty that you're going to get to the promised land. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as they say, there's this there's this very uh, colloquialism you hear in many different ways. And it basically comes down to, it's about the journey. 
It's, it's, yes. it's about the, the journey, because like you said, like you can set the goal and, and, you know, this is what you're going to create, but that's, that's just like one point in the experience. Once you get yeah. that creation, it's just like the one thing, all the stuff that happens before the iceberg that's underneath the ice, all of that is so big. <laughs> There's just so much that happens. So you get there. So yeah, I, I appreciate you you bringing that. That it's makes about the journey. The, that's so, that's so true. That mixed with like what you were saying with the, about the, you know, being in the fog and still being able to, you know, trust the site in front of you. Whoo. That's like 101 for <laughs> community creation, entrepreneurship, building a business. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's so important. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I think, um, I think the, I mean, the term is, uh, my favorite way of describing it is walk by faith and not by sight. And a lot of, I mean, I know it's a religious, uh, it has religious um, background and, and connotation, but I think even if you're not religious at all, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of relevance to it. Even if you're, you know, of no religious conviction whatsoever, mm-hmm. I don't think you can live in this world in such a chaotic world. I mean, just as we get out of, just as we think we're starting to get out of this like global pandemic, you know, another part of the world goes into war and we're all dragged into it in some way, shape or form. You know what I mean? Like I've got people here in South Africa who've lost clients that were either Russian or Ukrainian or yeah. that had deals or had whatever. So everybody, there's like this massive ripple effect. So I don't think you can live in today's world um, and not have an element of, you know, trusting something, trusting the process or trusting something bigger than yourself because there's still, we still, a lot of us still walk in a lot of ways in fog, but you kind of got to walk, you know, you, you still have to <laughs> yeah. walk, so you can't just stand still, but it's foggy and, and, and chaotic, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, when you, when, when you say, just like, before I lose my train of thought, when you say it's, it's about the journey, that's something I'm very passionate about. And that's, it's one of the reasons why I love storytelling. Um, and I always say, I love to hear stories more than telling them because, um, you know, everybody's got a story to tell. And, and you and I have had lengthy discussions about this. Um, but to that point, I always say to people that if you, if, if you actually think about all the stories that you know and love, nobody actually listens to a story or follows a story, even if it's a triumphant story. Nobody really cares about the fact that the person got to the promised land, that they got the millions, they, got, they built their empire, they became a multi-billionaire, they built this community or whatever. Nobody really cares about that. That's not what brings people to the story. It's about all the things this individual went through to get to that point that makes the story, you know, what it is. If you think about the pursuit of happiness with Chris Gardner, um, you know, um, it's about everything uh, Gardner went through that made the story, the pursuit of happiness that, you know, uh, uh, Will Smith starred in. You know what I'm saying? Yes. There's all of those nitty gritty. So yeah, like the journey makes the person not the destination. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what, are, what were your aha moments? Uh, like, or uh, like one big one in the last like year or two? Oh, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah. Yeah. One of my big aha moments in the last year, let's see. The, um, one that comes to mind is that, I give away too much. I, Mm. in my collaborations, in my relationships, and I just give too much. I I noticed myself fake laughing 
not because I mm. didn't feel amused, but because I felt like, because I somehow learned along the way to really make somebody feel comfortable about like, as if I had this job of it's my job to make you feel more comfortable about what you just said. Mm. And it's, it's so, it, it's like, it, it has to do boundaries of course. And, and, and some other conditionings. And, and so I just, I noticed that about myself. Like I, I, I was noticing that I was feeling guilty in collaborations to be asking sometimes for what I was worth or to, uh, let somebody know a boundary had been crossed. I noticed that I was explaining myself more. And I, I also think that there's a time in my life where, where I was and what I was doing, my boundaries were really good for that time in my life. But then I changed what I was doing changed. How I interact with human beings was changed. What's inside me, like just spiritually, my sensitivities are also different too. And so this mm. is a big thing. It was like, Oh, like I'm, in very little ways and very big ways, I'm giving too much. And the other thing I realized was I wasn't sure how to scale back. I didn't know how to consistently scale back. So, you know, I, I work on that. There's different spiritual ways to work on that. And I work on that in, in therapy, but yeah, it, it, I was, that's what led to me having sort of like a, um, a nervous system. I wouldn't call it a nervous breakdown, but just like a nervous system breakdown at the beginning of last year. Like I just, I was like raw and couldn't process anything. And I'm still now, you know, when we were talking about the cloudiness before, now that I'm sort of reopening my own business and starting to collaborate with people again and building foundations of, of what I'm putting out there, it's like some of that, I'm finding it very challenging to navigate like my own nervous system and I'm fighting myself in my, there's been so many times when I've been sitting like holding on. Cause I'm like, I want to get more. I want to say, I can do that thing. I want to say yes. <laughs> you know when I should really not be saying yes to the six other things I'm being asked to do. And I I'm believe like, you. Yeah. I'm like literally sweating bullets and like white knuckle can clenching my pen or whatever. Cause I uh, just, because it, there's some condition in me that wants to like take on more. Yeah. So yeah. that was a big thing that I, and a long time coming and I'm, I welcome this knowledge about myself. That was a big thing for me this year. Mm, okay. Well, that's interesting because, um, uh, in the time that I've gotten to know you, I think we've known each other for what now? Um, two, since 2000. Yeah. yeah. Since 2020, so yes, yeah, so about two or three month? years now. Yeah, we've known each other. This so month? Actually, yeah. It's, this is our month of recipe. Yay! Oh, yes. <laughs> We're like COVID friends. Like, cross border COVID friendships <laughs> right here. Guys, tuning in. These things are true. They're real. They can happen. You can find <laughs> friendships across the world. And Dude, we met people. Right. Tune in. In two years, we'll be re-recording another episode (laughs) in South Africa. We'll both be there. (laughs) Yes. There you go. But I was going to say that in the time that I've known you, I actually have noticed that about you. Like you, Mm -hmm. but but I I don't even think you normally realize that you're doing that. I think now you're more conscious and aware of it. Yeah. But but like from the outside looking in, I can see that you give a lot of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get that. You know, it relates to somewhat to that because you don't take on a project that you're not going to give yourself to. You know, otherwise, why bother? Life's too short to be doing things for the sake of doing them. That's how I feel yeah. as well. But then yes. you end up giving all of you to everything and not 
you know, working with people who aren't actually reciprocating. So like other people are giving 50% of themselves and you're giving a hundred to all that you're doing. Um, it ends up being very unhealthy in the end. So I can, yeah. so I feel you, I can relate to that. And I'm happy that you're in a better, that you're getting into a better place with that. Thank you. Thank you for seeing that. And also another part of that journey too, especially when we're talking about community work is, is there's this, balance that I'm also learning of, I want to give to community and community spaces. But I, now that I have this high awareness of like, um, a reciprocation, that navigation sometimes is a little, um, rocky because it's like their community, the communities that I want to give to, I'm not walking in there going, and I need to get this back. And so, so there's this new thing where it's like, there's actually, this is something to be for me to perceive in differently in every situation, if I'm giving to a community that's doing a prayer for, for the world and is, uh, you know, there is some sort of ceremony that I'm part of. Well, no, I'm not going to expect them to pay me or anything like that. Right. What, how can I be a part of this prayer mm-hmm. and give what I can give? And also re- I'm going to receive a nourishment from a ceremonial prayer if I'm aligned with it. Right. So that's different than someone wants me to consult okay on A, B, and C, and it, it's like a good 80-hour job that needs to be done in, in two weeks, then yeah, there's I'm going to be seeking some sort of, um, of you know, possibly resource reciprocation, yeah. if not something that's that's equivalent to that. And that's that navigation right now is is um something that I'm I've become very aware of because I think there was one time when I was invited to something that was very much like, this is volunteer work and it was hard volunteer work. And it was great for whatever that community is doing, but I wasn't aligned with it. And when I showed up, I was, I was in this position where I was sort of involved in, in working with, I was involved and feeling like, I wanted to get something out of it. And so it was just a, as this situation where I was like, this, they can't give me anything and mm. this is not my activism, you know? So it was, it was like this, this, this kind of precarious situation. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's a big thing is like in each situation, what is the reciprocation? Yeah. And, and I think I'll be able to feel that more in the future, but for now it's kind of like more of a thought thing where I'm like, kind of there's like a measuring going on and then you know then I bring it into my feeling space um and you know it's just part of the process of I agree retuning I feel you. <laughs> my intuition yeah. that getting that balance I mean it's getting that balance before we started recording we were talking about balance as well so yeah I think that I think there needs to I think there needs to be a balance and I think that's what you're striving for and I think yeah. that's what needs to be uh-huh. a balance yeah so, yeah was there something else you said there's a couple of things that you discovered this year significant about yourself what was the other thing um do you remember now i've actually lost my train now i i lost my train of thought from that thing um i think the other thing for me and this is gonna sound um this is gonna sound weird huh but with with everything that was going on, um, and I mean, and understand, you know, to, I think many of the listeners here will understand that the economy took a very big knock globally, right? Um, and many and many people lost a lot because of that. So, 
with everything going on, um, I was overcome by a sense of gratitude. And this is another thing that I teach um, or I talk to my mentees about, about living life with a gratitude attitude. Because anything else will drive you crazy. Especially when you look at your life and you've done nothing wrong, but everything is falling apart. You know, like you look at your life, everything's falling apart, but you've done nothing wrong. Like you did everything right. We didn't run our businesses to the ground. The economy went to crap and we just went to crap with it in a way. And a lot of us entrepreneurs and, so, and a lot of our small businesses, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to this. So I was, for me, I just sort of went into the shell of living life with the gratitude attitude. So just being grateful for the little that I have, you know, being grateful for a roof over my head, um, uh, you know, being grateful for friends and family who could help out, you know, despite feeling like you should n- never ask for help because we live in a world where asking for help is often a sign of weakness. Oh, so <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's a whole other podcast, right, sister? <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other episode, honey. We can't even get into that today. But we live in a world where, where and, and like, this is how I put it, like we live in a world where Showing signs of humanity is often showing is often is often akin to showing signs of weakness, mm-hmm. you know. And human beings are very vulnerable, fragile beings. We need to we need sustenance. We need roofs over our heads. We need you know collaboration and companionship and whatnot. So showing a need for all of these things and not being able to do it yourself and asking for help is often seen as a sign of weakness. Yeah. Um, but in all of that stuff, you know there's always something you can be grateful for. Cause I genuinely believe that there's always someone who has it worse than you. Like Ooh. things can always, things can genuinely always be worse. And as bad as they are right now, and as bad as they are for you in this moment, in the next year, next two years, next three years, cause you don't know how long you're going to be in the trenches. Yeah. Um, there are people who actually, actually have it worse. Like you could be in war right now. Having, having gone through everything you've gone through and then going to war with no money, nothing to feed your children and your family with, and then you get attacked. So like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then when you think of it that way, you're like, okay, fine. At least we're not in war. The economy is relatively stable. I use that in inverted commas. I can at least make things work. Yeah. At least try and do something. But I'm not in a war zone trying to run a business. That's the other thing that I realized that if you, you know, if you, if you don't live life with the spirit of gratitude and, and, and with, 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 with this philosophy of gratitude attitude, mm-hmm. I think, I think, I think your, your, your brain can very quickly unravel, very quickly unravel far faster than you'll be able to sew it back. Um, uh, no, like for real, you know what I mean? <laughs> I believe you. I know it. Yeah, your, your brain can unravel, it'll, it'll unravel far faster than you will have the resources to sew it back. Mm. If you don't understand that for everything that you're going through, you at least have your health, mm-hmm. you know, you're healthy and going through an economic downturn. There are people who are unhealthy and going through an economic downturn with no medical insurance. So like, you, like you, it could be, but you see what I mean when I say it could be worse. Um, so that's the other thing that I realized is having a gratitude attitude and being very grateful for everything that you have, despite everything that you've lost. Yes. Um, and that that helps you focus, you know, that helps you focus on on everything that you could once again have, 
based on the little base that you have versus everything that I can lose based on everything that I have lost. So really it's all about reframing the discussions in your brain and everything. It's another thing that I learned in isolation because it felt like solitary solitary confinement to being in lockdown. Literally felt like like the world, it felt like your parents had told you to go into the naughty corner, but like the entire world had to go into a naughty corner and think about what they had done. That's what it felt like. Like everybody goes to the naughty corner, think about what you've done and how you're going to like make reparations and and, and think about it and fix it. It's felt like we were sitting to a freaking naughty corner with and think about what we've done. With a world and with blessings, I hope that a critical mass of us come out differently in in a, a way that's better for this world because I know Amen. some of us are coming out like swinging and some people are coming out not ready. And there's like a, I'm watching people come out here because here I live in Portland, Oregon. So things are back at like people are going to shows and like going out and ditching the mask and all of that. So I have noticed like this dynamic of new social behavior and it, it, it's, it's honestly, it's like being in PTSD. a zoo. It's, it's very strange to, to watch kind of like the, the, the openness or the facade or the, you know, the dynamics of people coming out. So <laughs> the naughty, <Yeah. laughs> and then somebody who's in the live <laughs> the live corner. Kids, like, uh, the not like the timeouts, like, yeah, it's like we put it to a timeout. It's like everybody go and sit and think about what you've done to the world for the past like centuries. It's, it's, what, it's, it's what I describe it as. Like the universe was like, you know what? We're done. Everybody sit in the corner and think about what you've done to us. And then we can have a discussion. But to your points about people coming out of this, you know, uh, a bit more thoughtful and 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 and, and better for the world. Um, I hope so too, you know. During COVID and all the lockdowns, the, the phrase that was trending, other than the new normal, which a lot of people got over, uh-huh. um, the other phrase that was trending was look within, look within. Because we were all sitting at home and we couldn't go out. So like the phrase that trended, at least back here at home, was, you know, we have to look within and just stay at home and understand that, you know, we're part of the greater good, you know, and just like be with your family and your friends and like you just be with yourself, like look within, look uh-huh. within. Uh-huh. It was like this idea that trended. Um quite a bit um and so i hope that people did actually look within and that work i actually do hope that people did look within and they were coming out better than we went in but if i'm being honest with you it's a double-edged sword because there's a lot of pt there's a lot of like mental people's mental health suffered significantly uh during lockdown hell Um, yeah like a lot of different reasons a lot of different reasons. Yes, so, it's hard enough when you, so yeah. when you when you make the conscious choice to look at your own traumas, PTSD, what you're carrying. It, it's hard enough when you 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 have that desire and you have the the tools and the support. But if if you're in a situation where you cannot avoid it, like being you know, and you're in the house, you're cooped up with your demons, failing. You're you know, you can't touch people. Everything has changed. You're not used to big change. All this, all these, all the pressures that you know, dynamic pressures, like, and you don't even know. All of a sudden, you're challenged with this, and you don't know, or maybe you don't want to, or for whatever reason, you maybe you don't have the resources to have a support system around that. Whoo! And and I see yeah. that in in some people I I know, and not not so much my my closies, but I, I do see that in uh, around me. And um, 
Gosh, what a yeah. great testament to coming back to living in closer communities, tribal systems, the way, and closer social systems, the right. way are, are meant to. So we meant to be, yeah. Better. better. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the world, you know, comes out of all of this stuff. Because I'm not entirely, and not to sound pessimistic, but I'm not, I think it'll be a double-edged sword. I think some of us will come out better for it. Yeah. And I genuinely think some of us won't. Um, I mean, when you hear the stories about, you know, gender-based violence and, you know, you know, people who are stuck with their abusive, you know, partners in the lockdown with nowhere to go and nothing to do. There's no work for this person to go. Like, that outlet was removed for a lot of people, you know, like, um, you know, there's just so many things. I don't want to get, it's a long list, so I'm not going to get into it. But I'm interested to see, and I'm sure, and I genuinely hope that those in charge, you know, those in the industry in charge with doing that work are actually tracking it and monitoring it the way we monitored, you know, the pandemic. Yeah. I think we, I, th- I think we need to monitor the way people recover or get out of uh, a pandemic as much as we monitored and so uh, surveilled how people went into it and stayed in it. We yeah. need to take care of our societies as we get out of it as well. Yeah. But that's me on my soapbox mm. about um, uh, 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 that stuff. <laughs> I'm in full agreement and, and may that be so. But yeah. This, this level of taking care of each other. Um. There's something you said about gratitude that I wanted to go back to. And um, you were talking about how when, you know, it seems like, you know, everything falls apart. You don't have access to to what you built, you know, the resources. There's a war somewhere, the pandemic, all this stuff. And when what you built or what you thought was going to happen sort of falls down in front of you, it's like having that gratitude uh, even if you said, even if everything went, you did everything right, you still could lose it. Right. And coming back to that, mm. that gratitude, uh, as, as a, as a practice, you know, for me, like, it's definitely a healing practice It's definitely a grounding practice, but something I, I noticed that I want to add to it is that sometimes I've noticed that having that gratitude practice also, also gives the the thing that I'm creating a different, a, it evolves it. It gives it a different formation, if that makes sense. Mm, when I yeah, wasn't, when yes. I didn't have the gratitude practices, it tended to be more in my head, maybe a list, uh, maybe a little bit less governed by what's in my spirit. Still, still created awesome stuff, right? Like still, still maybe it's things that were helpful to people and great collaborations, but there was a layer. I felt, I felt like there were some things that I was missing because I just wasn't accessing it to it, accessing. And then when I started gratitude practices, the way I went about what I was creating changed. And I think how I was creating it was more sustainable. What I was creating was more valuable to and helpful to people. And um, had my spirit involved, weaved in with what I was creating, all just from simple gratitude practices, like when I wake up in the morning mm. and, and at night. You know, so so that's something I just wanted to add. Do you do you feel that yeah. the gratitude practice evolves what it is that you create? Yes. All the time, because you also because it's also you also see things you normally wouldn't see when you're not grateful for the little things. Mm-hmm. So, for example, with the work that I do in tech, uh, my tech startup works with informal traders 
um, who have little to zero access to technology or the knowledge or the resources or even the funding to 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 take to access technological solutions mm-hmm. uh, for their businesses. So we help them grow their businesses by leveraging e-commerce technology. So we take okay. them from from little to zero technology, and then we help them implement tech in their businesses, uh, specifically e-commerce technology. Um, and we work with informal traders. And so, you know, I'm coming in from Africa, right? So in Africa, most of most of our economies are quite are, are still quite informal, even though some, and I know that some people who are South African or even African might dispute that or might want to be like, no, that's not exactly entirely true. But that's predominantly because we all live in our little bubbles, right? Yeah. Um, and so you, you, you're not exactly sort of always aware of what's happening, you know, uh, 50 kilometers away from you. That is completely different to the neighborhood you live in. Yes. Um, and so the way that that has impacted me of gratitude attitude is understanding that even something as simple as jumping onto a Zoom call is not as easy as it is for me. It's not as easy for me to do. I'm sorry, it's, 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 it's easier for me to do than it is for the people that I often serve. So my merchants and my clients and so forth that I work with. Just something as simple as something as simple as jump onto a Zoom call quickly. Let me share my screen and show you uh, what we've built or let's show you how the platform works. Wow. Why is that? People will ask. Because one, they don't often have access to proper devices. That's okay. the first thing, right? They don't have like laptops or like proper smartphones or whatnot. Some of them go to community labs um, or they go to, you know, like um, uh, internet cafes where there's like community computers. And then, and half the time, only half of those computers actually work. Old <laughs> machines, they're yeah. slow and so forth. And some of them don't really run as well and so forth. So that's the first thing. They don't actually have the device. Uh, the infrastructure is not that good. So even if so, so they they don't have Wi-Fi. They're working off of data that you have on your cell phone. That you're paying right? so they're working for, off right? of data. So you're paying, yeah, the data you're paying for. There's no Wi-Fi. They're working off data that they have to buy on, on their cell phone. They don't they cash strapped? They don't have a lot of money. So they buy a little bit of data just to do what they really need to do online. Yes, and stuff like that. You know. Um, and so on and so forth. And then the security issues. I, I remember one time I was doing a workshop somewhere and the guy was genuinely, he, he was genuinely saying, I'm running 30 minutes late because I couldn't leave at the time I was supposed to because I'm carrying my laptop bag. And there was some stuff going out. There was, there was some issues on the street. I had to travel to get to where I'm going to meet you more. <laughs> so I had to stay back until those issues with the gangs and whatever oh, uh, wow. was sorted out. Before I could be walking in the middle of the street with a backpack that with looks like I could be carrying a laptop <laughs> in it. So he, so he sends me a, 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 what, a, not a WhatsApp, an SMS telling me I'm going to be 30 minutes late. I'm just leaving the house now, you know. Um, so, and those are little, so to many people, those are little things. But yeah, in the but country I mean, trying to build something from nothing, that's a yeah. huge, like now you're 30 minutes late for a meeting. Like you're 30 minutes late for a meeting. I gotta go. Under normal circumstances, you might be dealing with somebody who doesn't have that, you know, who's like, I now I have to go. I've got another meeting, I'm running late. All that all those Especially things, internationally, right? so, especially internationally, you know, because they're measuring can this person show up on time? Because we, you know, it's six hours yeah. difference here. So, you know, <laughs> this is somebody so we you're more than just 30 minutes late to five o'clock every day. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, and I mean, I'm making this example of with people that I'm meeting face to face, 
mm-hmm. um, and so on and so forth, right? So that example was a guy that I was actually meeting somewhere at a community center and he was going to be 30 minutes late because of this particular issue. So the security issues in some of the neighborhoods and so forth. So there's all these things that these good, honest, law-abiding, tax-paying citizens have to deal with just just, just even to get to the door, never mind get a foot in it, yeah. just to get to the door so they can knock, Alex. Just yeah. so they can get to the door and knock on it. There's so many things working against them. And to the point of where, where, where like, I was only able to actually realize all of this stuff and, and feel it, not just see it and understand the statistics, and what, but really feel it in my heart and my soul and why I've been called to do this particular work why this opportunity stumbled upon my lap and I could not avoid it. Hmm. When I understood how, how, how gracious, as much as I've lost so much, but how gracious the world has been to me to give me the opportunity to do these things, to have the Wi-Fi, to have the data, to have a dingy old laptop but that, that can still connect on Zoom properly and so on and so forth. You know, like things that other people have no access to. And that's where, I mean, I mean, I mean, this tech company was birthed out of that. It was actually birthed out of a gratitude attitude and being like, we have to change this. You know, we, we, we are far fortunate to be able to see it and we have to change it. Wow. Wow. I mean, I don't know if we, I mean, I don't know if we, if we will, but I always say we're on the way. Like we're like, like we're on the way. We haven't changed it yet. But we're en route, you know what I mean? We're walking, we're running, we're on the journey. Um, yeah. We're on the way. So we're coming. The promised land is there. We're walking towards it. Yeah. And there's this, uh, I was just learning recently about, uh, I, I learned this from somebody who's, and, and I hope I am, um, using the right terminology and the right words here, please, if you have a, if you're listening to this and you have a correction, I, I, please let me know. Um, but somebody who follows some of the ways of the people of these lands and more specifically the Lakota ways, I believe this is where this comes from and talking about the seven Mm. generations below us and, uh, how the things that we build and the doors that we open and the wisdom we pass down, it's good to keep the seven generations below us in mind because this is, this is these, this is the amount of cycles that it, it takes to sort of turn things around or, or evolve things to a place that is, that matches what, what we would like to create. Right. And it it happens through these generations. And this is something that Mm. I feel like you're expressing this, this like, we're, we're on our way, you know, it might not be tomorrow or six years from now, but we, the community is on our way. And obviously because of the way that we reproduce offspring and, and things get passed down. Yeah. It's, we're taking people with us. We're taking the youth, youth with us. Um, and I, and I've heard the sentiment expressed several times. I, I saw an interview with, um, this amazing uh, musician from Mali, Fatua Mata Dairara. I believe I'm saying her name right. And she's talking about how she's an amazing electric guitar player. And she said, I think she was saying either in an interview on stage, I saw her live and she was like, yeah, I might not be the best guitar player, which she's amazing. And she's like, yeah, but if, if the kids see me 
do something with this and they see like I can express myself and that other people are hearing this story and they tell their stories, they then maybe it, it would be different for them. Maybe there'll be kids who like start picking up creativity and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah. mm-hmm. preach like, sister, preach. Yeah. And I hear that sentiment repeated. Um, this, the, you know, we're on this journey, we're on our way. And I, it, and it actually gives me comfort especially in times when I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm going to get this out there. I don't know how I'm going to touch people. I don't know. How <laughs> you know, I'm just like, it's the journey and just, just go and connect and, and uh, open, open the doors that make sense for me to open. So thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, what are you up to these That's days? That's a beautiful sentiment. Oh, thank you. What are you up to these days that feels aligned with your spirit? Oof. Um, honestly speaking, my tech company, uh, huh? it sounds weird to be like, your tech company, align with your spirit. Girl, <laughs> girl, you, girl, you ain't going to build a multi-billion dollar empire doing that. <laughs> That's a content tutor, right? Um, but, but honestly speaking, Shopapolitan, um, is, is one of the projects, one of the things that I have in, to my mind and in my heart. I am extremely, I was talking to my coach the other day um, about it. Um, I think it was yesterday or something. And I was just telling him about every, like all the challenges we've, you know, been through and the hoops and the hurdles and whatnot. But despite everything, I think, I was just saying to him, everything that I've been through since the last time we spoke uh, two, three months ago, the good and the bad has strengthened my conviction that we're on the right path. We just need to tweak some of the strategies here and there, align with the right people and so forth. But like, what, what, like we're doing something that needs to be done. And we might not get to the end, but we will be on the way with those who will get to the end. You know, it reminds me of a quote from Martin Luther King that longevity has its place. But if I don't get there with you, you guys will get there. It's fine. So like, you know, the, like, you know the speech I'm talking about, I won't get into it. But one of my favorite MLK quotes is longevity has its place. Um, but, but certainly Shopapolitan for me is that company. Um, one, of those, one of the projects that aligns very well with my spirits. Um, and then I think an obvious one for everybody who knows me is the shirt that I'm wearing here that, you know, um, it's, it's my album, Mo Malele, um, but it's my poetry. Yes, I was so, listening so, today. Yeah, my... my um, you know, I, I honestly feel like my poetry is, is like beetroot to, the, to a plate of white rice. It, 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 it's just, it's always there. It seeps into everything and anything that I do, you know, I, I mean, I just, I mean, I wrote a poem for entrepreneurs a couple of months ago that I've been testing out, um, you know, offline, um, like in different groups and so forth. And it's going to be on my next uh, album. Uh, but I've been just like performing it online and sharing it, you know, with with fellow entrepreneurs and so forth. But it's 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 really like every time that poem is performed, um, it, it gets like a virtual standing ovation, so to speak. You know, and and apologies for sounding arrogant about that, but I'm just I'm just saying, you know, um, and and the point I'm trying to make is that my poetry it permeates into everything that I do, um, and that's one thing I've also come to terms with. Uh, when, when we talk about, you know, sort of self-love and self-acceptance and, 
um, uh, just sort of coming into your own and feeling comfortable in, in your skin type thing, you know? Mm. For me, it's like one of the things I realized is that um, w- when I was younger, I always used to say, my dream is to travel the world one stage at a time, delivering poetry. And it sounded, I mean, what, we grew up in a time where, like for 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 like you know, for a black kid in like South Africa, what was poetry? Like your parents, like what? What are you even talking about? Go to school, be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, an engineer. Like <laughs> those are your choices. Like, like move poetry. No, no, listen. Do poetry on the side. You can write at home when you're done with all your schoolwork. Like whatever. Like like there's like there's a focus. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about. There's, there's a focus. There's a particular path you gotta follow, and you've got like five choices to pick from. And anything out of those five choices, it's like you kind of on your own, um, but like do them on the side, you know. So, 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 I've come to the realization that you know I am a poet, and that everything else that I do in my life, poetry will always be in some way, shape, or form a part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'll always I'll always bring the consciousness of a poet to a boardroom discussion. Um, I'll always bring the consciousness, you know. Uh, um, of, of a writer, uh, uh, the consciousness of a story uh, uh, absorber and a storyteller to a set of financials, you know, like like whatever we're doing, I will always have the poet. I will always have the poet um, within me at, in the room at the table. Yes, um, and so that for me is something that certainly aligns with my soul, um, and it, 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 it aligns with everything that I do in the world, actually. Everywhere wow. where, where I show up, I'm a poet. I'm, I might be a poet presenting a set of financials, but I'm a poet presenting a set of financials. So it's fine, but you will know that I'm the poet. And you know what's funny? People, you laugh. <laughs> you, you, Alex, you laugh. You know, people sometimes, you know what I get? So in my world, I sometimes feel like I, I'm living in that Jim Carrey movie like he's in this movie but he doesn't know it uh-huh. I, I kind of feel like I'm always like jumping between like different worlds and I feel like I'm in a movie like I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm a human experiment like the Truman Show yeah movie. yeah the Truman Show yeah the yes. I feel like sometimes I'm in like this this like massive worldwide experiment but I'm the only one who doesn't know it because there are circles in my life where I'm I'm strictly a businesswoman. I'm an entrepreneur um, you know, I've got a business background, I've got a finance and accounting background, marketing, corporate, and that's all people know me for. Yeah. I am business all the way, you know, all the tough discussions people shy away from. I'm the one bringing them into the boardroom table to be like, we need to talk about this. In some areas of my life, that's who people know me for. That's who I am. Wow. In other areas, the year, right? So, but and then in other areas of my life, that was like a foreign concept. Like, for example, you would not even think that I do that. Like, Yeah, when you told me you were a trained accountant, I was like, what are you doing? What? And I was like, of course, she's competent to do that. Like, of course. But I just, I could not imagine you like in any kind of uniforms. I know not all accountants wear uniforms, but I just like immediately, I was like trying to imagine you like sitting with like a, one of those like clicker, like type (laughs) typewriter looking calculators and like all these files and papers and like as a kind of clerking accountant. And I was like, that is just does not talk about the Truman show. That just doesn't even. 
<laughs> I have both of those worlds. So so then I so so then I have people like you in my life who just are like I don't believe it. I, they're like, show me your transcripts. I don't show me. I don't believe it. No. Let me see your LinkedIn. I don't believe that you actually have an entire business science degree. I, I just don't believe it. Um, and then and and then I have the Venn diagram, which mm-hmm. is basically I would describe this as like everybody. So, so if you th- if you think about the Venn diagram, where you've got these two circles, the one who only see me as a strict businesswoman, the yeah. other who, who only strictly see me as a poet, a writer, and a creative, um, and so forth. Yeah. Um, and and then and then and, and then a sweet spot in the middle, you know, where at the end of something, for example, um, like in and maybe in a meeting or something, it might come up or somebody might say, um, you know, uh, we're looking for performers or we need to, you know, relook our entertainment budget and see if we can find, you know, uh, more affordable performers or whatever. Then my name will come up to be like, yeah, I think Mo is the best person to talk to about that because she's. You know, she's she's actually a poet, so she knows a lot of performers and whatnot. Yes. And I'll be like, oh yeah, I actually am a poet and a spoken word artist. And everybody goes, oh, I thought you, I knew there was something odd about you. Uh, I knew there was something about you. Infiltrating I, yeah, the I, yeah, that, Now that makes sense. That, that, everybody goes like, yeah, that makes sense. Like nine out of 10 times, oh. everybody's like, that, that makes sense. I agree that you're a poet. I knew there was something odd about you. I just didn't know what it was. You know what, That's Mo, what it is. in the beginning of, of when I started the business of my work, you know, I've always been supportive to, to women and, and helps them grow ancestry, spirituality, empowerment, self-care, all of that. And in the be- beginning, mm. I had such a hard time, like f- figuring out how to show up because I was not, a, I, I'm, I think I'm entrepreneur at heart, but like, I didn't have any business training at that time. Like this is, this is like 10 years ago. I didn't have any business training at that time. I didn't quite know how to wear that hat. Um, and I let mm-hmm. that leak into how I was showing up as a, a, a practitioner at that time, like coach supporter guide. I let that leak into that part of, of my world. And it, I created this thing of like feeling like I was a fraud or imposter mainly because I was thinking that I needed to be really one or the other and really perfect and amazing, the shining example of either one or the other. And it took me a long time. I went on on this journey. Um, I I would say that I I got way more comfortable about six years ago. I went on this journey where Mm. I realized that, that, really I can be all of the things that I am in the perfect way that I know how to be those things always growing, right. Always Mm. evolving. I can be all of those things where, wherever I go. And, and I, it it doesn't mean that I, I show up in say a a collaborative business meeting being like, let me like pull some cards for you. You you know, like maybe that's okay. sometimes, (laughs) Right. Maybe that's okay. Sometimes, (laughs) but but the the spirit of of who I I am there's I don't need to hide it you know I think there was a considerable yeah. amount of hiding and it was really confusing me and on how I, I was showing up so so I love that that you're saying like I'm a poet wherever I go you know that's not something you like go of or 
or, or dampen because you're sitting in, in a boardroom. And as a result, people are allowed to freely feel that about you however, however they want. And that's, that's a really beautiful mm. thing. You know, we don't need to sit in, in boxes or, or cage ourselves into like a way of being, cutting ourselves off from our, who yeah. we really are. Hundred, hundred percent. I mean, I I just honestly believe that human beings are inherently complex and layered beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I don't believe that anybody is any one thing mm-hmm. all the time. I, I I just I struggle to believe that. Um, and I know I I think it's a Simon Sinek quote where he says, uh, "You are who you are." And if, and if you say you are like this at work and like that at home, then at one of those places, you're lying. Yeah. Huh. I, think, I, think it's, I think it's Simon Sinek who says that. Um, and, and to a large extent, I agree with him, which is why I can say I'm a poet everywhere I go. I stopped doing that thing where I was a poet when I left the office and then I was not a poet when I was in the office. Mm-hmm. But to a large extent, I agree that at, at one of those places, you actually weren't telling the truth. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes. um, you know, like, I mean, you can be, I mean, you can be a capitalist, but still be an activist. I, I honestly believe that you, you, you can be an activist and still be a capitalist and be like, yeah, I believe in, like, you know, competition and, you know, the free economy and everything. But I choose to, I choose to work more collaboratively. I choose to, you know, interpret some of the, the laws of capitalism in my own way. Mm-hmm. I do believe in a market where there's like a free economy and so forth. I do believe that you can be an activist and be and, and, and still, you know, believe in some capitalist ideals. I don't think it has to be yeah. one or the other or me or me against you or you against me type situation yeah. all the time. Yeah. And I think we live in a world where it's so difficult to believe in two, like, like, like you can't be more than one thing. Mm. Like, why? Because human beings are inherently layered and complex. Yes. You know, I mean, I mean, just, I mean, just because you just in your community work, for example, um, or in my work in anybody's work, even to people who are listening, um, just because you choose to work with um, uh, AIDS orphans doesn't mean you don't care about, you know, rape survivors. Just because you choose to fund AIDS orphan organizations doesn't mean you don't care about inner city school reform. Yes. You know what I mean? But then people, but then, but then we, we want to sort of approach life with this one way or another type, you know, approach to, to how to the ideologies and, and philosophies um, you know, people live by and 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 present them with. No um, wonder we're always in a fight. For me, is a thing. Right? <laughs> yeah, no wonder why it was like you know, we're constantly having to defend ourselves, even when we're doing the right thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> the AIDS God. orphan research, like help the AIDS orphans. Somebody else will, you know, do the work, you know, for the other stuff. Like, it's not, an, it's not a, a one, a, a, either this one or the other. I think all of them can work together. Like that's honestly what I believe. So I genuinely believe that human beings are not one thing. You know, you you we are layered inherently. I think the role that you play at work can be different to the role that you play at home. And what's wrong with that? There's not that what's wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Like you just play different roles in different places that you're placed. But I don't like it. But to that point, I like I'm not saying that you must bring double personalities split personalities you know what i mean and that's why i'm saying yes. that you know everywhere you go you're still yourself you're yeah. just playing a different role in that room you know 
but you are still yourself and your voice is still your voice, but you might have a different perspective based on the room that you're in and the situation that you're in at that time. Yes. Yeah. 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 I get that. And, and it's, um, oh my gosh, this cat, sorry. I'm for the, you guys can't see this, <laughs> but my, in this interview, my yeah. orange cat has jumped up on this table, trying to knock over my mic and my computer uh, no less than 20 times. <laughs> I think, I, no, I think the little orange cat is really enjoying um, the interview. I, 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 like, I think they want to be part of it. I think they actually, just, I think they just like want to just like answer a couple of questions and be like, yeah, the same thing happens in the cat world. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm also big like labels and what I'm a ginger and everything. They like this cat. This cat feels triggered by our conversation, you know, Alex. So, um. <laughs> he's so, so triggered. He's actually back here now fighting with the other cat. You probably can hear it on the pocket. He's back here when I don't let him sit on my lap and sit up here and move like rub on everything and close my computer screen during a recording. If I don't let him do that, then he goes and he fights the other cat. <laughs> yeah. So he's acting out. He's you see, he's acting out because we see we can learn so much. Look at him! Look at him go! He's not having any of it. Yeah, talk about this. Uh, Mo, <laughs> Mo, <laughs> I was just um, I was. <laughs> Straight face, Alex, straight face, straight face. Remember your lines. <laughs> uh, I was just listening to Memoirs of a Journey. And um, every single, this is a spoken word album. And it feels like, like a wisdomful meditation. I, I highly suggest everyone check out this, this album. I will link it in the show notes. One of the, um, okay, so the two tracks that really moved me, I, I was moved by all the tracks, but the two that stood out to me quite a bit was Passion is the Currency for Living and We Are the Storytellers. Mm, all right. Passion is the Currency of the Living. Yeah. And We Are Storytellers. Oh, those are very, yeah. very interesting tracks. Wow, with a very interesting background and history, very differing uh, history, but yeah. Please tell oh. me about Passion is the Currency for Living because... I feel like that song has been the through line, has been sort of the golden thread in all of the workings, the engagements, everything that I've been hearing people creating in communities, healing communities, activism communities, you know, whether they're doing it or not, but the, it's, it's their intention. I feel like it's the through line intention, this spoken word. Mm -hmm. So please tell me, tell us about mm -hmm. this piece. Wow. Uh, so passion is the currency of the living is almost a decade old piece. What? Maybe like a nine. This is passion is the currency of the living is literally the. Probably the second or third piece I wrote when I started doing poetry in 2010. Okay. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, Passion is the Currency of, of the Living I wrote when I was still in varsity. So, that's how old I am. Uh, I, I, think I, I think I wrote the poem in, yeah, I was still in varsity early, like second year or something like that. Um, and it really actually is 
what it is. It like it, it is it, it's a story about how passion and the passion that you bring to life and that you and that you live life with is actually the currency with in which you live. It's the currency within which you trade in life and living. And it's the most important currency. You know, like passion is the most important currency a human being, um, you know, can bring to this world, you know, along with purpose and whatnot, but passion encompasses all of those. It's the most important currency you can live this life with. Um, so the story around that, like I said, it's, a, it's like almost a day. De- I think it actually is a decade old because we're now in 2022. 20, so it wow. actually is a 10-year-old piece. So <laughs> it's quite old. Um, one of the first it. poems I wrote... <laughs> Yeah, well, I've been in the I've been in the industry over a decade. I, I started writing poetry in 2010, mm-hmm. just to give you an indication. Um, and I fell into it. Uh, I, st- I literally stumbled in, into poetry by accident, and then I never left. Um, but it was so the story of passion, and it's interesting that this thing still resonates um, with people years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people of different age groups and uh, nationalities, ethnicities, um, and people just going through different things in their lives. Like it, and that's that's why that's one thing I love about you know, art and, and so forth. Resonate cross border, cross cross all the things that you know make us different in the world, mm-hmm. or that we're told make us different in the world. Like it, it crosses all those things, and that's what I love about poetry as well. But anyways, um, the poem was so I wrote the poem at a time when um, I just wasn't happy with my life at the time. I wasn't, I was still in in varsity. I wasn't happy with what I was studying. Um, I was just dealing with a lot of other things, you know, uh, um, just like in general, in life in general, I was just dealing with a lot of other things that were sort of impacting um, how I felt about myself, how I felt about my studies and where my life was at at that point in time. There was a lot of pressure. I was under a lot of pressure, um, having taken on additional roles, like like leadership roles as a student leader. And so I was I genuinely felt like I was in a pressure cooker. Yeah. I really felt like I was just in this pressure cooker. Um, that was like kind of waiting to explode. Um and and every avenue I tried to find a release for this pressure. Um, just wasn't working out. Mm-hmm. And at the time, one of the things that I was trying to do was change courses and change, you know, some majors and whatnot and get to do more stuff that I really wanted to do with my life and so forth. Um, things that I was like, things that were just like akin to where I want to take my life and where my soul is going. But those doors just like kept closing one door after the other. And I was genuinely miserable. Mm. I was genuinely miserable. And I remember coming back to my dorm room and being like, ah, like, I don't, I, like something's going to give. Like at some point, the pressure cooker is going to explode. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you're young, you know, the beauty of youth naivety is that you don't know everything you know when you're older. So when you're young, you don't think of it that way. Now at my age, I think of it that way. You know, if I'm in a pressure cooker and I... I'm conscious and aware of it. I know that at some point it's going to explode. So I need to release the pressure somehow. Yes. You know, like leave town for the weekend or like switch your cell phone off for the weekend and just like stay in bed and watch with friends and family and whatnot. Like do something to release the pressure. When you're young, you think just like keep moving with the with the emotions and yeah. things will just get better by their own. So I did that and like it just wasn't working out. I remember one day coming back 
late at night, I think it was like, not, not late, but it was after a test and everything that we had written. And I was, I was just, I was not having it. I was just, I was over it. Like, and I remember coming back into my dorm room um, and I'd gotten dinner before I went to the exam room, like the test room. We, or we all of us come back and people are hanging out in like the tea room and everything. I'm like, oh, but I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want nothing, you know? So I come back to my dorm room, just to lie down. I'm like, yeah, warm up the food and everything. And I just sit and I'm like, and I sit in this, and you know, dorm rooms are small. So it feels like you're in a prison. Like, so it feels very dramatic. Like yeah. dorms are small. So like it's a four by four, like it's a three by three room. It's like, tiny man, like, so you, you, I sit there and I sit by my desk and I lock the door and everything and like there's food sitting there and I'm like, I'm not even hungry anymore. I've lost my appetite. I'm sorry, I'm a storyteller. So I'm like giving you the environment of the room at the I time. No, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, no, I'm just saying to the listeners, like, you know, so just imagine like, so this, so I genuinely just remember feeling like I'm in a prison. Like, am I ever going to make it out of here even, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was sitting by... My desk was literally facing the window and I had, and I opened the window and I opened the curtain. So I'm facing into the garden, into the courtyard. At, at, at home. And I whip up my laptop and I just start playing some music. Um, and then I switch the lights off because I'm, I'm just over it. Like my brain can't even like take even like the sensitivity of light anymore. I just, I just want darkness and music. I'm like really emo right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and in that moment, and, and this is genuinely how that poem is, is, is kind of birth. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm speeding it up, right? But in that moment, I just, I took a pen and a pad. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm an old school writer. Mm-hmm. Everything happens with a pen and a pad okay. before it goes electronic. Yes. I took out one of my notebooks that I had, like an exam pad that I had from varsity. And I just started, just, just start, like I was vibing to... Oh, uh, yeah. I'll never forget. There was a B.O.B. album. Uh, not to plug artists, but there was a B.O.B., the, uh, the rapper B.O.B., a.k.a. Bobby Ray. Okay. Um, and so I was listening. So as I'm playing music, his album sort of pops up because I was listening to it at the time. There's a track on there that popped up and that just like, it really just like spoke to me. Yeah. You know, um, it's titled, It Was Just a Sign. It was just um, a side? Yeah. It was just a sign. It was just a sign. Okay. okay. It was just a sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, and I'm not trying to plug him. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to draw a picture for you. Yeah. So I was really into, you know, uh, his album at the time. So it's on the playlist that I'm playing at that time. So this track comes up and I'm sitting in this dark room, staring at the courtyard and just thinking about the fact that I'm going to have to do what I'm doing for another five or so years, if I go into articles and whatnot. So, like, I've got, like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be doing this for a while, yeah. you know? I'm going to be feeling like this for a while. Yeah. Like, for, like, five years. That's, a, that's like, half a decade. That's, that's <laughs> not, like, a change. That's, like, half a decade, man. Ah. Like, miserable, at least. To be miserable for five years. Like, come on, fam. Like, anyways, 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 anyways. So this track comes up, the meat, long story cut short, I take out my head and I start writing. And the words that come out of my head, literally, as I'm vibing to this track, and I've got a unique ability to be able to shut out the lyrics of the artist and rewrite the song. 
Wow. As I'm listening to the song, as I'm listening to the original track, I can shut them, I can shut out their lyrics and be like, this is actually how you should have written this track. So I rewrote, so I wrote, so I, I rewrote the, I rewrote this track from uh, B.O.B. And that's actually the story of passion is the currency of the living. So I write, the first one that came to my mind is passion is the currency of the living, only oh. of the living. And the idea was, and like, sorry, like, let me put it this way. What I felt in my heart was everything that is keeping me going through all of this crap, and I'm not going to use a French word for that, you know, but everything that's keeping me going through all of this crap is really the passion that I have for living. And that is the currency that I bring to this world my mm. passion. It's the currency I'm going to trade in. And then everything just became a run online from that. And then I, I basically shut out the lyrics of that track and I rewrote it from scratch. Um, and not, not really rewrote it, but I like, I, I was listening to those tracks of that album as I was writing this poem. Passion is the currency of living, only of the living. So, you know, so what currency are you trading in? What values are you bartering? Whose bread are you buttering? So all of that stuff like just came into like, it just started, as soon as I started writing, it was literally like word vomit. Like it just all came out of me because I was being denied to do the things I wanted to do. Like I was being denied my passion. I'm like, this is the only thing I have to trade with. It's the only currency I have to trade. All I have in this world to trade with as a currency is my passion. And I'm being denied the opportunity to do those things. I gotta do all these other things that I don't really want to do. And so that's where that piece actually, um, you know, sort of came from. Um, yeah. Um, but then it becomes very, I mean, it obviously builds up to the crescendo where it becomes, it becomes I mean, it's a very inspirational piece, I, I think, for most people. So it was just that moment in my life where I realized that one way or another, I'm going to get to that passion. I'm going to do it. Like I just had like that, that was the sort of the aha moment. And that's why I remember this track. It was just a sign. It was, it was just a sign, but be a bit. I, rem- I remember that track. I remember the way it starts and the way the beat flows. Like I haven't heard that track in years, but I can, I can, I, I remember it. You know what I mean? Cause I just <sighs> sat in that room looking at the, looking at the courtyard in the dark. It's late at night now. People are asleep. We've just had this test thing that we wrote that was hard and people are, people are just like demotivated and I'm just like I don't even want to be here like I don't even go here is how I felt hashtag mean girls I don't even go here is how I felt so, <laughs> yes I know that like, I, like, I don't even want to go here so why am I this miserable but um so I wrote that poem and everything in that sort of space um uh and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the rest is history because everybody knows that I am a BBSI graduate. I'm a business graduate, so I did I, I did finish what I, I did finish what I started. Yes. Um, and it and 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 indeed it was and indeed it actually was just the sign. I've got. I'm actually very grateful that I finished what I started. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm very grateful because it makes me a better entrepreneur. It makes me a better creative, as well. Um, cause I have a unique ability to commercialize creative because I have a strong business, uh, background. Yes. So, so, you know, I, 
I can see things that, that, that maybe another, another creative would not be able to see in terms of a commercial opportunity because, yeah. you know, I understand financials and I understand that background. So, so that's one way. Um, but the other thing that for me is, was a blessing is the importance of starting what you finish. Sorry, uh, yeah, sorry, finishing what you start. I always say it the other way around. <laughs> uh, but finishing, <laughs> finishing what you start. Um, I feel like we could get into a whole long philosophical conversation about starting what you finish. That. Time travel. Right. <laughs> the seeds that we're planting within each other and, and ancestry. Starting and what you finish. <laughs> uh, but what I meant to say was finishing um, what you start. I learned a lot about um, like the importance of that in, fini- in like sort of finishing a journey. Um, and, and, and finishing it, you know, for yourself and not for anybody else. Um, so yeah. that, so, so I went through an entire journey in that perspective as well, but that's sort of the space in which that piece was written. So some of, so some of the poems actually in that album that you talk about were written actually in those years. That's amazing. Uh, I think maybe, I think actually majority of that album was written in, um, my varsity years. Like, so the first four to five years of me doing poetry, those poems were written in, 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 in that era, which is why I'm always so intrigued when like people come back to them. I'm like, really? That was your favorite? Oh girl, I got you. Like you, like you're a home girl. You understand, you know? Cause I'm like, I wrote that really when I was not even understanding poetry. And I mean, if you listen to the poems that I do now, you could actually see sort of an evolution in the style and yeah. you know the language and so forth. You know what I mean? Um, so there's been a there's been a definite evolution, and people will see it again in this album, the next one that's coming. If you compare the two, you'll definitely see that there's been quite an evolution. Um, you know, an education in 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 in, in the craft. Um, but yeah, I'm so glad you love the poem. It's actually one of my favorites. Yeah, I just. I I was, you know, I'm, I'm in a experience right now where I am, you know, my parents raised me to be an artist among other things. And I played the piano and um, then I let the musician part of my life go. I still performed and I danced. I did a lot, all sorts of creative things, but I would say, you know, the last like nine ish years of my life, you know, there's been some dance, um, there definitely hasn't been music for a very long, like over that, like I, not since I was singing in, in college and recently I've mm-hmm. come back to the healing of my voice and, and you know, what instrument do I, I would like to play an instrument. I'm drawn to playing, I'm drawn to many instruments. You know, is it drums? Like you see the drums back here. Is it, you know, I have, yeah. you know, with these like UFO hand pans, which I have fun with sometimes a shrewdy box. I, you know, I'm just like playing with different things I'm drawn to and, uh, recently I was like, Oh, I think, I think I'd like to start communicating, you know, my dreams and and what's inside me and what I'd like to see in the world. Um, I'd like to be songwriting and I'm finding it. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm finding this like sort of, there's so many things at play in my mind that are sort of like muddying up the the process. And I realized that when I, when I'm really 
turning out things like writing things down or lyrics, you know, lyrics, words, whatever come to me in, in a way that feels right. Like I'm like, Ooh, this, this right here. It's when I'm, it's when I'm relaxing into whatever will be, will be. It's when I'm relaxing into uh, sort of uh, being in my, um, feeling my story and, and when I'm really excited about the, the playing of the music and I'm just like allowing myself to be taken by the music. And then mm. all of a sudden there's this passion that wakes up. It's not about what's in my head. It's not about what's in, in, you know, what I think it should sound like. There are certain types of music writing and poetry writing that I'm very attracted to. And so I I get like all heady about like, oh, I can, you know, this structure or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. But when I allow myself to sort of touch into the passion, all of a sudden, and this is a recent thing, the, the words start to peek out. Um, And so you setting up that story and, um, yeah, sharing, sharing, being open and sharing that story is really inspiring to me. Thank you. Oh, awesome. No, yeah. thank you so much. Like, thank you for giving that opportunity because people don't, people don't often ask me, I think maybe I should actually like do a series where I talk about the behind the scenes, but like, I don't often get asked that question and every poem really has a different story. I mean, some poems, like if you think about why I write, for example, why I write took me a year to write from like the beginning the middle end editing that piece took me a year wow. um, to write that piece and to be like, okay, it's done now, you know? Um, and I mean, I, I, I remember a quote one day I was hearing a, um, a quote, I think from like Def Jam poetry. I don't remember who said it, but I just, I think maybe it was Mob Deep when he was in, when he was just like doing his hype up, starting the Def Jam uh, poetry show on that particular episode. Uh, but he said something along the lines of, you know, a poem, a poem is never finished. It is abandoned. And this was like way back then, like what <laughs> when I was starting out, like when I was starting out and I was like, oh, a poem is never finished. It's abandoned. So like, you know, you, so, I mean, and understand that I don't like, as you know, as everybody knows now, I don't have a theater background, a writing background, a performance or a poetry background, none of that stuff. Everything in my life has been this. My mom is an economist and everything. Uh, she's a teacher economist. My brother's a software engineer. You know, my sister's a physiologist. Um, so, like, I'm literally, me as a speaker, a writer, and a poet, I'm, like, so far the outlier that, like, it skews the data. For those st- statisticians in the audience, so far the outlier that you're skewing the data now. Yeah. Um, that's me, you know what I mean? So, so it's always good to like hear what people have to say um, and, and just get that feedback. Because when I was like writing, I started out in that, in, in that time. But like I say, why I write took me a year to write. Mm. Um, and, and I always had this thing in my mind, like a poem is never finished, it's always abandoned, you know? And sometimes I feel that way. Yeah. Uh, like I used to feel that way, but I, I no longer feel that way now. When I started out, I used to feel that way. I used to feel like I can still write more. I can still continue. And that's why most of my poems are really long because mm-hmm. I never, I never wanted to leave any of my poems abandoned. Yeah. You know, I wanted to finish it no matter how long it took me. If it took me a year to finish it, then so be it. It's fine. I mean, it's my poem anyways. Yeah. So, 
but but now but now you know where I'm at with my craft, um, I I still don't let a poem go until it's until I feel that it's finished. I I don't let a poem to feel like it is abandoned. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, unless I I mean not even unless the only times where you might feel like there's a continuation of a, 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 a thought is when I stopped at some point and I was like, I'm happy with this poem, but the thought now continues in a different form. So like in that album, if you listen to The Struggle Is Real, for example, um, like, like that poem is a continuation of thought from other poems, but it's its own being. It's like its own orphan child in that album, but it's actually a continuation of thoughts that have run through from the first track till that track, but it lives on its own. Um, so it's an so, autobiography. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, uh, I suppose actually, maybe loosely speaking, but I think my autobiography will be. I, I think my. I, I, I think the publishers who do eventually publish my autobiography might want to own that term, right? Like for, for publishing and for like PR reasons, yeah. <laughs> like decades from now, like, you know, they might, for royalty reasons, they might want to be like, no, 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 no. That's what she did 40 years ago. That was not the autobiography. This is the No, I just mean, I just mean like chapter, chapter like seven or eight. <laughs> Just chapter, <laughs> yeah, that would be yeah, cool. Yeah. That would be um, awesome if you had like an autobiography, and then part of it was a sound, like a chapter, a sound chapter, and it was just like the it's just poetry, just poetry. <laughs> it was like it was just poetry interpretation. The next chapter is like okay, back to the writing. <laughs> yeah, Mama um, Lady, but, but started her. But like one <laughs> thing, but like one thing, I just want to say, I just quickly, um, because I actually pulled that poem up. Like it was such a long time ago. Yeah. And I pulled it up just now, right? I'm looking at it now. Um, and I just remember, and so I'm looking at it and I'm like, just to go back to the point I was making earlier on about the space I was in mm-hmm. um, and, and why this is one of my favorite poems. Because the first line says, passion is the currency of the living. The second line says, meaning the living are trading in passion. Not dollars, euros, pounds, rands, or bands, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But like, it's a second line for me. That's like, that's where it was at for me. Yeah. Meaning the living, like people who are actually living in this world, not just surviving or whatnot, like people who are actually living the way we were meant to live as beings, as human beings in this world. With yes. prosperity and abundance and whatnot. Those people are actually trading in passion. Um. And so, and so passion is the currency of the living. And so, you know, when you asked me where, what my animal was, like which animal I would be if I wasn't a human, I said eagle because of the vision and just being able to see a head of themselves, like a head into the future, despite where they are right now. Yeah. Like, I'm just bringing that full circle. Like, like literally right now, my mind is like, oh, snap, this is what you... When you were sitting in that dorm room, this is what you were envisioning. Mm-hmm. That you would one day live a life where you are trading in passion. Ten years ago, sitting in that dorm room, miserable AF, 
and like, oh, I gotta, pro- I gotta, I just gotta do it. I gotta do it. I gotta, I gotta finish what I started and make the most of it. And I did at a really great time. Don't get me wrong. Like we had, a, we enjoyed our university life. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. But like, I'm actually in my mind now. I'm like, how, like, how much of a sign is it that you asked me that question in the beginning and then you ended off with asking me about passion as the currency of living? Because ten years ago. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't living a life of passion, but I was like, people who live in this world, who truly live in this world, they live with passion, they trade in passion. And that's where I want to be. Me too. And I feel like that's where I'm at. Like that's, that's like the, the path I'm on right now. It's the path I've been on for a while right now. You know, um, I would go as far as I just feel like it's more rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would go as far to say that I think that's true at the core for everybody. Even if they don't acknowledge it, I think Mm. that's where the happiness really lies. And I am including people who, you know, my dad was like a, a project manager sort of engineer and he was passionate about it. And he loved, he did work a job where he was at a desk and everything. And he loved, he loved it. When he retired, he was like, he, gosh, he worked that job for 31 ish years, I think maybe more. And he was passionate about it and he wow. loved it, you know? And for me, you know, I, I have my things that have nothing to do with being in a nine to five job <laughs> that, you know, that doesn't look anything like what my dad did. Not even a little bit. <laughs> and I'm passionate <laughs> about it. And, and when I hear, you know, when I talk to people of all walks of life, I think what you're talking about, people who are really living like this, I think that's what we're all striving for in some way. And may we, may we get mm. there as, may as we get the amen. humanity. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, the first one is, if Momo Lele of 20 years ago walked into your dwelling right now, what would you say to Mo? Momo Lele. 20, like this Momo Lele walked into my dwelling 20 years ago. Yeah, like who you were 20 years ago walks in. <laughs> what would you say to her? Oh, okay, okay, okay. If the younger me walked into the room, okay, fine. Yeah. Um, oh, I love this question. I love it when I get this question. It's always, but it's one of those gotcha journalism questions. Y'all got to send this to us beforehand. Um, it's like, <laughs> um, one, so honestly speaking, I would say to her that it's okay to be yourself and to feel comfortable in your skin. Um, that that whatever cost you feel you're costing others or whatever cost you feel others are paying for you just to be yourself and be comfortable in your own skin, it's not really a cost and it's not a cost you should be paying. It's not a cost, it's not, it's not a cost worth your life and, 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 and worth your time in this realm on this earth. So be just be yourself and be and be comfortable being that you know be comfortable in your own skin just be yourself and and, and, you know be comfortable being that and being in your skin 
um, and showing up as yourself, 100% yourself, 100% of the time. Wow. And then along the way, uh, yeah, so, <laughs> um, but that, but that along the way, yes, there will be those who are not about you are not about it. And some of those will be those very close to you. And some of those will be those very far to you. And some of those will be a hodgepodge of people you wish could be close to you, but will never be. Because this idea of you being yourself and being comfortable in their own in your own skin is not something that they're about and it just challenges them in a way that they're not yet ready to be challenged in. Mm-hmm. But continue to be yourself. Continue to feel comfortable in your skin and show up 100% as yourself 100% of the time. And along the way, you'll meet your people. You'll meet your tribe. Mm-hmm. You will meet your chosen family. Mm. And all of the things that you often think are the differentiators or the things that draw a line between you and everyone else will be the things that unite you with your people. Ooh. And you will then know what we you will then know what it is to be like to be in the promised land or to, to find your people. You know, yeah. This idea of family, you will then know what like what it like what that is, you know. Um like when you have your people. Um, and, and furthermore, I would say to her that along that journey and along that way, by being yourself, 100% of yourself, 100% of the time, there are a lot of lives that will be impacted by just you showing up 100% yourself, 100% of the time that most of which you will not even realize. You will change minds. You will change hearts. You'll give people new perspectives about people of your your gender, your race, your color, your creed, your ethnicity, your citizenry, uh, your sexual orientation. You'll give them a whole new perspective in life that they never, ever had access to before. Not by being on a soapbox, but by just showing up 100% yourself a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. So just do that. Just show up a hundred percent yourself a hundred percent of the time. And it's okay to feel comfortable in your own skin. You're not doing anything wrong. Mm. So go forth and conquer. Ah, I'm so glad I heard that today. Thank you. (laughs) Mo. What is your blessing for this world? My blessing for this world. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, my blessing for this world, um, my wish for this world, if I can put it that way, mm-hmm. um, it's just for it's just for us to give into our humanity for us to actually lean more into it to lean into the fact that you know we're human beings uh, we're not perfect um we don't have all the answers we are not ultimately holy 
uh, we are made in the image, you know, of our saviors, whoever your savior is, if you believe in one, and if you don't, that's also fine. But we are not any of those things. We, we are human beings placed on this earth for a purpose. And so our, our job is to sort of, you know, in this realm and this time, make the most of what we have in this realm and at this time. <clears throat> um, but really leaning into our humanity, that we're not perfect, that we're vulnerable, we're fragile, um, that we are weak, and that's fine. It's not a to be human is not to be weak. It is just to be human. Um, that we need help. That it's okay to not be fine. Um, and that it's okay to want to help, and it's okay to need help. And I think we, I, my blessing and my like my wish for the world is that we would actually just live more humanly and be okay with being human beings and, and leaning into our humanity. Um, and that's one, and that's one of the things I love about you, you know, like you, mm. you lean into, you lean into your humanity far more than most of the people that I interact with, you know? Oh. Um, and, and that, and that for me, for me, that it means a lot of things, but it means reading the room. It means being careful with the language. It means when someone is 30 minutes late, not going to the worst case scenario of them being a lazy bum. Mm -hmm. Like, like what could have happened that you're 30 minutes late that I'm not seeing or experiencing in my life? You know, like there's just so many things in life that we that human beings go through. Yeah. And, and we often think that people go through what they go through because they're failing at life and they're just not showing up enough. And 90% of the time, the truth is that's not the case. Like 90% of the time, that's not the case. And if you understand how percentages work, you'll know that there's only 10% left. But how can we judge human beings on, you know, just the 10% that is them and disregard the 90%? And I often think that the 90% lies in us not leaning into our humanity, into our compassion, into our natural urge to be compassionate and empathetic to fellow human beings yeah. um, for whatever reason, right? So, so that would be my blessing and, and sort of my, my wish for the world and for human beings in general. Um, hmm. And, you know, and, and I would just hope that through everything that I do in this realm and this time, um, I'm able to, to, to not only you know, progress that message forward because there's many of us who are, there's many of us who are preaching this message. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so along with all of those, you know, uh, who even have larger or even smaller platforms than mine, but who are preaching this message in small corners, in their families, you know, at dinner tables, on the couches and everything. But all that stuff matters, by the way. Yeah. I just wish that that message has more progress um, and that, through my poetry and my artistry and everything that I do in my life in general, whether you meet me in the in the boardroom or you meet me, um, you know, at, at, at a street corner somewhere, or or, or or you meet me, you know, after an open mic at a at a cafe, yeah. that you know whatever I bring to the table, whatever I bring to you at that time, personifies that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you said yes to coming to talk to us on the Wolf Wisdom podcast. Um, I just feel I feel grateful, and I 
I feel like I'm I'm just in this lucky place where I'm I'm witnessing you change the world for the better and I'm just I'm just grateful you know it's um it's a real blessing to be able to connect I mean so far away to you know like technology allowed us to to do this right yeah I'm just I'm in awe so I'm also grateful for this technology even though it eludes me sometimes (laughs) um yeah amen I agree yeah yeah like the technology the technology and the six degrees of separation that we were away from each other exactly uh, bless all those people so yeah. <laughs> so yeah bless all those like you know four other five other people who connected us together um at that at that point in time so yeah, yeah. <laughs> funny thank how you. things work out yeah yeah thank you mama lele thank you so much for having me alexandra loves i've had a lot of fun a lot. I've really enjoyed this. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. I, f- I feel like now I could write an entire new album of poetry, though. But like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, thank you again. I made this recording with Mo last summer, and I ended up taking a pause on a lot of the recordings before I could come back and finish editing and finish this season that I started last year. And I am so glad that I came back to this conversation because part of a process that I'm going through now, and you might be going through a process too in this that's similar or maybe have in your life, maybe you're ready for a process like this. Um, and that is really taking a look at myself and asking myself, what really is me now? What what am I doing? What are my habits? What I, do I believe in? What, I'm, what am I participating in that really is aligned with me and what isn't? Because this is, you know, today is my last day of being 39 on this world. And uh, I realized to be fully myself all the time, like Mo was talking about, there's a lot of things that I think represented me or believed in or was unconscious of that just is not for me. It is not really me. It's not my personality. And it's okay to let it go as I go into this new decade of my life. And I don't think I really need a birthday to like <laughs> be engaging with with uh, this concept or this you know, conscious evolution, but it just so happened to fall on the day that I was, you know, fall on this day that I was editing. So thank you, Mo, again, for this conversation. It was very hit home. It was very personal for me. And I hope for those of you listening out there that it uh, resonated with you in some way, please let us know in the comments on IG or Facebook, how you felt about it. Let's send some love all the way over there to South Africa from Mo Malele. And before we go, Momalele has an offering for us, and that is her spoken word poetry, Why I Write. People often ask me why I write. Come up to me and ask me what gives me the precious right to write. I stand there awestruck that somebody would want to ask me that question, and I feel like a teacher because I finally get to teach a lesson. But I stand there looking into their face through their eyes, trying not to tell lies about the story behind my lines, trying to conjure up words so profound, so renowned, that it brings the deaf back to sound, the blind back to sight, and the dead back to life. But such profound and renowned words cannot be found 
All I can say is, I write for those that can't find a reason to live except my poetry. So they can read my lines, watch my signs, and find a reason to live. I write for all the little girls all over the world taught to be submissive to the world's definition of a woman. I write so all the single mothers can know it doesn't take a man to raise a man and that the answer to any question your child asks is yes, you can. I write so you can read. I write so the illiterate can learn to enunciate, articulate, and literate through my poetry. I write because I refuse to run. I write because I'm living proof of God's eternal truth. That the promise he is making, the blessing he is giving, he will not be late in delivering. I write so those that legs can walk, those that voices can talk, so the deaf can hear, the blind can see, so those in captivity can be free. So the lost to be found and the silenced have sound. I write so Judas knows he is forgiven. I write so Adam can be resurrected and tell the truth about who ate the apple that was forbidden. And then maybe Lucifer can tell me how something forbidden even made it into the Garden of Eden. I write because some days I have more questions than answers and most days I have more answers than questions. And so I write. I write because sometimes the weight of the world feels so heavy on my shoulders I can feel it in my teeth. I feel it in my lungs as I struggle to breathe. I write so politicians can stop politicking and start delivering on what they've been promising. I write because I can't read. I write because I don't want to bleed. I write because I can't cry. I write for all the kids with daddy issues. Then I write for all the daddies with issues. I write so the rich know there's no benefit to being rich if you never learn to give. And I'm not talking about philanthropy or charity. I'm just saying stop stealing money from poverty. I write so anyone who reads knows that the real and true revolution that will change this world as we know it will not come from your wars, guns, knives, or missiles, but will come through poets like me, readers like you, and people who want to change the world one line, one family, one girl child at a time, and so I write. I write until I don't know the difference between reality and fiction, past or present. I write because most times it's all I can do, the only place where everything makes sense. Nothing is wrong, black is beautiful, woman is wonderful. Where life is blissful and death is peaceful. Where love lasts forever, joy is our religion, peace our philosophy. Love thy neighbor like you love yourself is our political policy. And hate is the only thing we bury six feet under. But mostly I write because if I ever live long enough to change the world, it will be one lion, one family, one girl, child, one son of man, one master plan, one heartbeat, one lung breathe, one blood bleed, one slit wrist, one comatose overdose, one step, one word, one phrase, one clause, one pause, one rand, one piece of land, one meal, one dream, one book, one hook, one subject, one course, one teacher, one preacher, one pastor, one child molester, one school, one department, one region, one section, one block, one province, one state, one county, one country, one continent, one hemisphere, one globe, one planet, one universe, one galaxy at a time. But momentously, most monumentally imperative is the fact that I write. Because if I ever live long enough to change the world, it will be all of that stuff combined into one life at a time. And until that day, I write.
The original and healthy beats for this podcast were created by Quincy Davis. I put his info in the show notes. The Woke Wisdom Podcast was written, created, and edited by me, Alexandra Loves. It is a production of the Moon Garden Temple. And my guests, of course, they bring their own wisdom. If you resonate with anything you heard today, please help us spread these messages and help get the podcast growing by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It just takes a few clicks. Clickety click, clickety click, click. You can contact me or the podcast at wokewisdompodcast at gmail.com. And look, I used to read the disclaimer at the end of every episode. I'm not doing that anymore. It's too long. (laughs) If you really want to see the disclaimer, it's on our website or it's at the end of our very first episode, Orientation and Welcome. And if you're new to this podcast, I highly suggest you check that episode out. It's awesome. It kind of lays the land for what we talk about here and and the way we roll. So thank you, everyone. Be blessed and we'll catch you on the next one.